Today, we are talking to Casper, the CTO at Monster Labs, and we discuss ways to create a deeper connection with your customer, what it takes to align culture across a global organization, and why it's never too late to spend more time on the people. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, thank you. Where are you calling in from? So I'm in Copenhagen at the moment. So yeah, the headquarter for the Mere Brains is in Copenhagen, also where I live. So I like Copenhagen. I've been there before. Amazing. Where you've been? Um, uh, I just I came in and then I went across the bridge to Malmo, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just spent to Sweden. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah. It is. It's a bit cold here in the winter and very dark. It's like it's 6 p.m. now and, uh, and already dark. And uh, it's going to be uh, light like 8, 15 in the morning. So, yeah, so that's the winter. So tell me a little bit about the company and what you guys do. Yeah, so it's uh, so Monster Lab where I'm group CTO. Um, that's a digital consultancy. Uh, we're spread across the entire world. Uh, have branches from New York all the way to Tokyo. Tokyo is the headquarter and where they was originally started. And then from like 2012, 13, they started acquiring companies in APEC. And then like in 2016, they acquired the company I used to work in, Notes, which is now the EMEA brains. And then we got a New York office last year. So that's the journey we've been on. And then uh, now we are trying to, to kind of get everyone together and work under the same umbrella in the future. So that's why, yeah, my position is now uh, in, in the group of everything. That, it's a big company too. You guys work with like Shake Shack, like some really large companies. Yes, indeed. Especially like in, in New York brains and, and like in Mia and in Tokyo, we have some really big companies uh, we're working for. And I see like Pokemon on your, on your sales site says you guys work for, uh, did some work with Pokemon. Is that like the game Pokemon? Yeah, so I think it's it's not actually Pokemon, it's not Pokemon Go. It's uh, some other uh, like projects within that branch or within that company. But we did a lot of games out of uh, the APAC, the Asian uh, companies. We did a lot of like Unity games over the years. Yeah. Do you play a lot of video games? I used to play a lot of video games. Like um, when I was at university, I played so much World of Warcraft. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, nowadays, I don't really have that much time for it anymore. So... I could kind of, when I started doing a lot of programming, uh, when I when I got out of university, I kind of could see the same engagement with as I did with World of Warcraft. Uh, I, I got the same feelings when I did like uh, mobile applications. So I managed to transfer it over to something where I actually got paid for it. So it's a great move. Right, like all those hours I've logged on Call of Duty or Halo, like I didn't really get paid for it. Yeah, exactly. I had a World of Warcraft account with more than 300 days online in the end. That was a full year, full online, right? Right. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember when they started tracking that, it kind of like, at first I was really excited about it. And then I realized how much the time stacked up when it told me like my total play time inside of Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's not something you should look at. It's, it's scarce. If you just like took a, like a, like a entry-level job for the same amount of hours, you would be a rich man. Sometimes I'll get like screen time on my phone. And it's like, oh, your screen time's up 55% this week. And I'm like, because I was watching TED Talks, right? It like makes me feel bad. Like I was doing something educational and that's how my screen time got up. And I'm like, oh, oh well. 
I, when I'm on vacation, that's when my screen time goes up because I don't have my laptop around. Normally, I prefer doing most on, on the laptop instead of the phone, but uh, I don't have that high screen time on my iPhone, actually. What do you think? You work for a really you know, innovative company. Like, I'm just curious, you, you personally, like, what do you think the next thing is? Like, we get all the computing power in our phones, then we have the laptops, and some people are working more from their phones and, like, less from desktops. But, like, if we look 20 years out or something, where do you think we'll be? So if, I, I still think you will have some variation of the phone, but uh, I think it's going to be an interesting race. You have, like, Apple and Google going both directions there. Where Google is trying to put all the computing power in the cloud, and Apple is trying to put everything in, in the in the device. It's going to be interesting to see which one of these are actually winning, because of course it makes sense to have some really thin mobile devices and then put everything in the cloud if the internet connection is good enough for it. Why not? So I think that's the one I'm betting on at this point. You think the cloud? Yeah, I think that you will have. You don't need that crazy hardware on your phones if you could. If we would just be online all the time and you could like transfer the the computing to the cloud and just be like a screen streaming. That's true, especially with the 5G and you see all the um, the satellites that like SpaceX and all these companies are putting up into space. Mm -hmm. There's like exactly that like tens of thousands. I I was watching uh, like Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, they do like podcasts and stuff and they uh, there's this website called I think it's like space junk or stuff in space and it shows you all the debris and things that are in space it's ridiculous like you can barely see the earth and uh really I, yeah and then they showed like the future launches that they have coming up i think it was like 28 or 58,000 more satellites between now and 2025 and it just was like astronomers are starting to get upset about it saying we're not going to be able to see the the stars and so there's uh there's some interesting pushback but what those satellites do is it gives us that ability to you know stream down like consistently at a high volume so that we can have that internet anywhere yeah exactly like uh, i think it's it's amazing that like i'm traveling a lot and like i can go mostly around the world now and not even get built for for 4g it's just in your subscription these days it's very modern uh, and very you're very connected I think what happened, you make a good point. I think what happened is those executives like at Verizon, <laughs> they were traveling and they're like, this is so frustrating. And then through that using of their own product, they just made it easier because it used to be ridiculously difficult to go internationally with your cell phone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like until, until lately, it was 12, uh, around 12 US dollars per megabyte when I was in the, in the Middle East. So imagine the, the bills you get from that if you just... Roam like you normally do. Yeah. Watch a quick YouTube video, 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So what, what projects are you really excited about? So like in the, in the entire group, we do like a lot of projects uh, simultaneously, but uh, like from, from the EMEA brains where I spend most of my time until now, um, we've been working on some really, really cool projects uh, over the last couple of years. So like, are you familiar with a taxi company called Karim? No. So they're operating Middle East. Uber bought them here last year for, I think it was $3 billion, um, a big acquisition. So, so we helped them get, get started with that like Uber Eat uh, competitor, uh, where we built the entire backend infrastructure and the apps for them. We also have a couple of hotel chains, one of them having the hotels out at Atlantis de Palm in Dubai, if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. 
27,000, yeah. So that's some really interesting ones. Um, we're getting more into like the pharma business, trying to digitalize uh, around that. And it's a more regulated space. That's very interesting to, to pick up all that knowledge around that now. But also some really big opportunities and some very, I would say like you can, you can do some projects which are really touching people in that business, uh, in that area. Yeah, that's like a big driver doing work that's meaningful. So when you, when you go around and you're the CTO of, of Monstar, correct? Yeah, exactly. So when you get to go around and talk with these different companies as you're building out their projects, like how do you connect to the why? Do you, do you meet with them? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, so, so a normal process where we would like to, like if we could define the process ourselves, then we will be invited in in the early stages before there's even a project. While you still talk about the, pro- the problem, so we can be part of shaping what kind of solution would it, would, would it take here. Will it be sales solution? Does it even have to be digital? That's the that's the dream scenario. But we also have the other kind of projects where we get in, where they say, so we already figured out that we need this application, we need this website. Um, and then it's more scoped out at this point, right? And then it's about trying to figure out what is the right match? Like, how do they prefer to work? Like, depending on companies and especially also around the world, they are operating very differently and then very different speeds. So you need to set up a team which matches that somehow. Also how far they are in digital transformation. Like some of the companies we, we recently started working with, they are teaching their teams agile at the moment. They're used to waterfall until now, right? So of course you, you need to be in a more teaching position there and also take the team with you. So that, that's the best situation to come in that early, be part of shaping all that and figuring out what's the right match. Also, do they need local developer? Do they want near shore, offshore? How can we set a team which is fitting their expectation and, and budgets? So I'm curious, like you have, you're part of this growing company. It's, it's bigger, it's, it's expanding. Well, how do you attract, like continuously attract top talent to you? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. So when we started the, like expanding nodes out to, uh, to Europe, we started doing that in like 2012. When we opened up in London, we, we figured out that the, like, the recruitment market was very different in London than it was in, 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 uh, in Denmark. It was highly run by recruitment agencies, controlling all the positions, and you need to use them to, to kind of attract talent. And what we figured out was it was, one, very costly. Uh, and secondly, people were not super loyal when they, when they got placed by a recruiter, the same recruiter would try to place them a new job one or two years after. So we, we tried to really turn things around and say like, why don't we spend that money on making nodes a really cool place to work for engineering? Uh, so we will have the best talent coming to us. And then we came up with this, like, uh, I think we called it hashtag visible, uh, where we want to be out at meetups, speaking at meetups, hosting meetups, uh, attending conferences, speak at conferences writing a lot of blog posts, contributing to open source, even building our own open source, taking over some abandoned open source projects to kind of keep maintaining them, things like that. So we kind of got our name out a little bit, even though Denmark was a, it's a small place, we managed to attract engineers from all over the world. We even have a couple from US moving to Denmark to work for us. So I think that was differentiator for us to do that. So today still we have a like on, on the core technologies we're doing, like iOS, Android, frontends, a couple of backend languages, we have a really solid pipeline of people which wants to work for us. So that's a very good position to be in. Yeah, I like that. How I like the idea of um, taking over, you know, related but abandoned GitHub projects because that happens a lot. 
there's like projects you depend on and you go check them and you're like, what happened to the two people maintaining this? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think we do, I think the iOS team, they used like a caching library for a while and then suddenly it was just completely abandoned. So we, they kind of asked if they could take over and maintain it. So I think that was a, was a fine example of that, that you don't need to, it doesn't make sense to make a new caching library, right? There's probably already 50 of them. So how many people are there at the company? So the entire company is 1,300 people. Uh, 800 of them are in the engineering department. So like, how do you, as a leader of these 800 engineers, like, how do you maintain a relationship with them? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. So yeah, I, got the, I actually got it this morning from my, from my sister as well. And I said, I, I write them good morning every day, all of them. Obviously, no, that's, uh, that's not possible. But um, you just use the at here on, on Slack. You're like, at here, good morning. <laughs> Dude, that's what yeah. I do. My team's five people big, and I do that. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good uh, start, yeah. No, so, so of course we're structured in, in, in various ways. So as I said earlier, like I'm, I'm traveling quite a lot. So I'm out visiting the offices at least like once or two times a month, I'm on a, on a business trip. And some of them are long distance to either US or to, to Asia. Next week, I'm going to Vietnam where we have two development companies uh, in Da Nang and Hanoi. Where it's like 100 and 250 engineers in each. So, so that's part of it. Um, the other part is like... Uh, spending time with the with the with the middle management so we structured in like we, we call it management structure where it's like each of the offices they will have like tech director and there will be some teams below them and then we also have a practice structure which is different technologies so in that sense like that's why you like i, I spent a lot of time in backend and architecture the last couple of years and have still I still have a lot of knowledge i can share there so i help on projects uh, now and then when i can see them looking for solutions in Slack and things like that, you can step in. Um, and when you're out visiting uh, the offices, I tend to jump into some, like even stand up some projects or, or client meetings and things like that. So that's a, that's a part of it. Um, but it's a, I think the trick is not, it's not you who has to do it. You need to build a structure which you're doing it. I like, I like what you mentioned about jumping in because it's an art form in the sense that you can't micromanage but when you have everyone having a conversation in a channel and you start to watch that conversation mature and then you're like, oh, they're going down a path of making a decision on this and I've made that decision before and it wasn't clear to me when I was making that decision, but if you go left, you're completely screwed. <laughs> yeah, that's, right? a good, that's a good chance unless they're smarter than you when they implement it. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, there, but that, that sense of like, do I chime in? Do I let them learn this or have I learned this lesson so many times it's becoming like almost factual? Uh, so that's all we, that's a hard thing to, to do. Yes, of course. It's a case by case, but also I think it's very important what you just mentioned that do you want to let them learn the lesson or do you want to pull someone aside and kind of tell that person it so they can bring it into the team so it didn't come from you? So very often on the bigger projects, we structure ourselves in a way we have a type of role called a solution architect which are kind of doing the drawings and tech leading the project and making sure that we have alignment between iOS and Android and everyone is using the APIs the correct way and things like that. So that's normally the ones you would speak to and say, hey, I tried this a couple of times and this is actually scaling really badly in these situations. Have you thought about that? So it's like aligning your different tool sets. Do you, first of all, do you even try to align your toolkits across the entire globe, all these 800 people? Yes, a lot. How? Like, how do you do, that must be crazy hard. 
Yeah, so across everyone at the moment, is, is that's also new for me to, to get that uh, rolled out into APAC as well. Um, but like in, uh, in Notes, in, in the EMEA branch, we have development offices in eight different locations. Um, so that was what I mentioned with the practice structure we had. So we have like, for example, uh, iOS development is a big core like service we have. The iOS developers across the different offices, they have like a practice structure together where they are like forming uh, a community and aligning on how to how to do things. There will be put one in charge, we call it a head of, there'll be a head of iOS, which are responsible for this community. But really they may, the most important thing is that they, they see it as a community and make sure that everyone can contribute and come up with ideas. But we end of day, we, we discuss it and make a decision. And this is what we go forward with. Of course, you can have a couple of experiments. Should we try to do this? Should we try to do that before we roll it out for everyone? But having some kind of structure, um, I've, I've, it's, it's not really structure. I think what, what I normally call is like, it's a toolkit. Like, how do we attack a project? Like, what, what tools are we using, when and why? What architecture works for what kind of projects? Those kind of things. So, so it's something we, we spend quite a lot of time on aligning over the last uh, over the last many years. Um, and it gives us a lot of flexibility, first of all, because people will be able to jump in and out of projects easily. But it also gives us the ability to move in the same direction as a, as a team, even though we are spread across a lot of offices. So we're assisting each other with the same the same problems and moving the team forward. That's what that's what we have seen. And I, I think we're really happy with it. And I think you mentioned earlier, like it's not because it should be micromanagement in any way. We want to hire great people so you don't have to micromanage them. Yeah, and I, I like how you create communities within the company with that like iOS lead. That That's really great. It's almost like you could be on a plane, you could be reading a book on iOS and you could find that author and you have the resources because you guys are a larger company to like go track down that person and say, hey, you know, come join us. Have you ever gotten to hire any of your mentors? So we, I think we, within the communities and the ones which are speaking at the communities and coming to the conferences and that, yes, uh, very often they actually come apply for a job now and then, and then we make sure we make room for them. That's smart. So what does your day-to-day look like right now? So my day-to-day is, is very often a lot of meetings, uh, both with my own teams and like the different head-offs uh, in, uh, in the technology sectors, uh, spend some time with them and making sure that I agree with the, the direction we want to go. But it's also client meetings. I really enjoy client meetings because that's where we can see if our strategy actually works and you can kind of feel it on your own hand, see if uh, the technologies we are pushing for, the ways of doing it is still what they want also like the engagement model like how do we do and how do we staff projects and are we working at our own office are we are we outplacing them at the clients all these kind of things so that's a that's a very important thing for me when you put people on site right at a client's office how do you keep them connected to your ecosystem mm-hmm. yeah so so part of our engagement model is that we don't outplace people on projects, just let them be in a client's office for six months. We simply don't think it's efficient. We know a lot of our competitors are doing this. We don't do the other thing either where we say we are only working from our own office. Uh, so we try to do some co-locating with the, with, the, with the client when it makes sense, when they have time for it and we have time for it. Uh, or you schedule in every two weeks, you get together a couple of days. And then other time 
we feel we are much more efficient at our own office where we can zone in into the project, but also there will be a lot of colleagues doing the same technology, for example, could be iOS again, where you can get sparing. Um, but that would be harder if you were sitting somewhere else. I, no, it, working near each other is definitely useful. There's yeah. like a different level of collaboration that can come from that. You build a relationship, the human things kick in a little bit more. Mm. Um, so I'm curious to know about, you, know, you get to meet all these people, you get to meet lots of clients, you get to work with, you know, hundreds of amazing technologists. What sort of habits do you value or what traits do you value in individuals? Yeah, so, so in, in the technology side, I think the thing I admire most and also the thing I, I spend most time on getting to that point to figure out that that's actually the most important thing, that's the collaboration part, like being a team player, uh, understanding your colleagues, also understanding that people are different. So when you get to this person, you need to do a little different when you get to this person. So that, so that part, like I think you also touched upon it on, in a couple of other of your, of your podcasts is like, we used to call it soft skills, like how do you communicate, how do you team play, do you manage to, to like uh, get people involved around you, uh, are you proactive at, uh, at communicating when you're behind, things like that. That's where most uh, in the technology sector today uh, are, are struggling most. Of course, you need to have some baseline in, in the technology and development, uh, otherwise it will be very hard to have you on the team because yeah, you need to learn a lot still. But that, in, in those other aspects, that's where I might most. Yeah, it's funny because for me, at least, I got good at technology and computers and engineering younger. And the way I did that was by isolating myself, by like not interacting with people. I would just, at school, all I could do is think about video games and writing code. And when I'd get home, all I would do is video games and writing code. And that loop just played out. Like I had one or two acquaintances, but learning the to interact with other people was just such a, uh, for, for, for most people, it's not this like big point in time where you do that. They just gradually develop these skills. But for me, it was like, okay, now I want to go outside and interact with people. I have to go start learning how to, how to do that. And so that, that journey was like pretty big one for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I guess it is from a lot of people. It was a little bit different for me. I came very late into computer science. I think I wrote my first uh, line of code at university. Um, I, will, I was always really good at math at, uh, and physics and stuff like that. Uh, and very social and uh, like in, in school and high school. So I was, I was kind of not a classic match to the technology university. So I spent minimum time at the university. And as soon as I could get off, I, I went back to, to my flat uh, I had with a good friend. Uh, and played a lot of uh, video games and, and went out on the weekends and things like that. And then it was very late that I got like really pulled into the to the coding where I got really, I would say like, where I spent a lot of time on it. That was when I like discovered mobile applications. I had a course at university where we did like uh, uh, Java applications with no, Nokia phones. And then we did like for, for the first uh, uh, Nokia, like uh, OS Lumia, if you remember that one. Um, and then Android came around, like Android 1.5, I found something like that in 2010. And I, I jumped on that. Um, and then, and then like you, you got those, like you got the same feelings that you could build something in the evening and you could really see your progress from, from day to day and you could release in the store and all these things. Um, so I, I like, 
at that point, that's why I like I shifted over and start spending much more time on on, on writing code than playing computer games. Um, I did that for quite some years and got really really good at it. Uh, so, so uh, e- Elon Musk is having uh, an AI party at his house for his autonomous driving team. Have you heard about that? No. Oh, it's all it's all the rage this week. I just follow him. Uh, but yeah, he's having a, a party at his house. Uh, and I I was curious, have you guys ever done any autonomous vehicle technology? No, not ourselves. We were we were talked with a couple of startups uh, on, on on helping them build the applications, uh, but never anything serious. I think that's going to be like I think the autonomous driving is just going to explode and go really, really fast over the next four or five years. What do you think? I think the technology is close there. I think that's the human factor right now, which needs to be taken into account that we need to like pick this up and also create laws around it and, and, uh, and accept. I think that's, uh, that's it. And then I don't know, maybe there will be some kind of like uh, traffic regulations and things like that, which needs to be adjusted a little bit. Uh, down the line, but uh, it's definitely going there. But I think if you said the same thing five years ago, people would also say 2020, it's going to be a lot of self-driving cars, right? And we're not there. But we're, we're, we're there's some, there's more than five years ago. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like, I think you was, I, I would have been surprised if it was this, this little, uh, at this point, five years ago. That's true. Yeah. But I think, I think it'll just happen like really, fast and i and i've also been seeing it like at uh, like campuses i believe there's like an autonomous uh, bus at like facebook or on the google campuses so just because they're not like in the streets for every mm. everyday people like didn't uber just do a delivery an autonomous semi-truck delivery yeah like that. And, and i think that the, those buses they are they're coming uh, like i think that they are coming to copenhagen next year as well oh there'll be some places where they will be driving around but I think, like, imagine the amount of vehicles on the road today, and all that needs to be replaced, or there will be some kind of transition period where you both have human people, a human driving while computers are driving. That's going to be interesting, right? Yeah. When I was in California, they have like the lane for carpooling, and like most of the people are not in the carpooling lane, and so you can drive in that lane if you have multiple people in the car, but you can also go in it if you have an electric vehicle. And so what they're doing is they're incentivizing people. To essentially like you want to use that lane have an electric vehicle and then eventually what i think will happen is like two lanes three lanes and then like then at one day there will only be one lane for all the uh mechanical or the gasoline human driving cars and like they have to all drive in that one lane and the other eight lanes mm-hmm. are for all the autonomous and electric vehicles i think that's how like it'll transition on the public roads yeah, and on the freeways that might work, but like in in the older cities where you have a fixed amount of uh, roads at this point, you need to have them together, right? So like in in uh, here in in, uh, in the Nordics, we've done a lot for for electric cars as well. Like so, I don't know if you know, but in Denmark, for example, we have a really high tax on, on cars. But if you buy a full electric car, there's almost no tax. Um, and from this year on, you will be able to park freely in Copenhagen if you have an electric car. So they kind of pushing a lot for it. Uh, and I know they did the same in Norway. Um, so that's how that's, that's how we push it here. Um, so there's a lot of like Teslas and electric cars driving around here. So uh, as we start to wrap up, I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. Okay. You might, you might have 
some some knowledge of this. But let's pretend that we both get invited to Elon Musk AI party mm-hmm. for autonomous vehicles, right? And we go there and Elon Musk taps you on the shoulder and he takes you into this back room and he's got a time machine. And you go into that time machine and you get to go back to your past self right when you started at Nodes. What advice would you give to yourself then? Yeah, it's it's a good question because like a, a lot of the a lot of the errors you did took you to here, right? But um, I think uh, for a long time, as we talked about previously, I was really zoned into technology and just spent a lot of time in projects all the time. Um, but at the same time, we were building up a, a company and building a tech department. Um, so it was very late. I discovered that if you if you invest much more time with your employees, all the way from recruitment to onboarding to training keep involving that's coming back many times so spend more time on, on like people i think and then also um, when you're building up a company you are most likely extremely motivated and ambitious and you cannot expect that the people you hire will be the same you need to build a you need to build a company where you where there's room for for the everyday guy as well um, otherwise it's you're going to be running really really fast yourself you're not going to be able to do it in unless you work double shifts or more or less. Um, so I think that would be some advice I would give myself, and then maybe get get more offline. <laughs> get don't spend that much time on the computers. But um, I don't think I would have listened to that. I was I am still very passionate and, and like really enjoy it. Uh, that's that's also like a, a big hobby of mine when I'm like on vacation or something like that is to if I have time to do programming. Uh, and I have a lot of side projects I'm, I'm working on um, because that was what got me into this business in the start. Uh, even though I don't have that much time to do it today during the office hours, it's still a big hobby. Um, so, yeah. I love it. I love that you said that you might not listen to yourself because <laughs> me too, right? I might be like, nah, and then I'd probably come around after a little bit, but no, that is great. Dude, this is awesome. Casper, we did it, my friend. We made a podcast. How do you feel? That was fun. Great. Yeah. Great meeting you as well. Yeah. And I really liked that last piece of advice. I was like, it was very unique and it was really true. Which one about the spending more time on recruitment? Or? Yeah, I'm with your people. And uh, yeah, that that like, I, it really resonated with me. And then the every making sure that while you're driven and you're doing the startup, you have to make room for the everyday person. Like that's important too. Like you have to have those yeah. people that are, that will do it. Yeah. Exactly. I was, I was very like tough on a lot of people in the beginning because I didn't understand why they were not as motivated as me. And of course that makes sense. They, they, they don't have any shares in the company. They're not like coming in here to build up a company that's coming here to, to, to do a job and get paid and get home with the family. Right. And there's also some benefit to having them like, not stressed and just like I'm going to come in and I'm going to do this one piece really well and then I'm going to go home and if you get people that have a high level of quality that just get in that pattern of just coming in and doing something really well then you end Mm. up it compounds and yeah you you get like like the the thing about the quality like is uh, when I ask some of the clients I've worked with late uh, last couple years that's very much why they, they still work with us is that we really like believe in quality uh, and for a lot of the big companies it's like it's quality first time is just so important um, 
and they're not used to full agile where you say um, we will we will launch uh, MVP and then we do 15 iterations and then we'll be okay. They have a really hard time getting that. Um, so so getting in with good quality first time is very important. That's exciting. All right, man. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. And then I'll have Jake and Chloe let you know when we release everything. Thank you very much. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks, bud. Bye. Bye.